considering the national presidential race, looking at all the different elections that are going to take place in the course of 2024 in, in the state of Tennessee, whether it's U.S. Senate, U.S. House, State House, you've got an East Bank development that sort of hangs over the entire process and every decision we make, a referendum that could be on the ballot and probably is going to be on the ballot in 2024. Everyone's just going to get primaried. <laughs> the Republicans are going to primary each other. Democrats are going to primary each other. It feels like this is a pretty defining moment in our city's history. And I feel like 15 years from now, we're going to look back on 2024 with however we decide to do things this year. I know we always say every election is the most important election in the history of elections, but doesn't it feel like 2024 is different? When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall, Blue Sky at Braden Gall, and the show at Podbless Nash on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Jamie Holland, and my co-host just stole all my words. <laughs> but can we quit calling it Twitter? Twitter is dead. It was used allegedly to incite an insurrection. Let it go. Twitter is dead. R.I.P. We're on X. Allegedly? Allegedly. 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 Okay. Uh, today on the show, Stephen Elliott is going to be our guest from the Nashville Post, the Nashville scene. Stephen, number two. Steven number two is going to join us. Of course, we will also do, we're going to talk Metro. We're going to talk 2024. Big story, cover story from the Nashville scene about all the biggest stories that Nashvillians need to know about in the calendar year of 2024. Uh, and of course, we will do, for the first time, I'm forcing Jamie to do this, our first ever segment on Donald Trump as he dominates the Iowa caucus. That's right. We're heading to Super Tuesday and March 5th. And who knows what his legal status will be. But we're going to do it because the people are clamoring. Jamie. 45. For, for more 45. Coverage. We will do that later on in the pod, so stick around for our conversation with Stephen Elliott and my obsession with the Iowa caucus exit polling numbers <laughs> and the cross tabs. So we'll do that. We've got our headline drip, of course, brought to you by... Eighth and Roast. That is correct. We've got some headlines for you guys. Eighth and Roast, our proud and wonderful and amazing sponsor here, locally owned and operated, ethically sourced beans. And if you want to go get a cup of coffee, relaxing place to consume the news and keep up on everything that's going on in the city, swing by one of their great locations on 8th Avenue, Charlotte Avenue. They've got one at the airport and, of course, over on West End by Vanderbilt as well. So make sure you swing by one of those locations and you can get their beans. If you can drive to a grocery store, you can get any of their beans at any of the grocery stores near you. They are fantastic. It is excellent. Did the city come plow your roads so you could get out and get some? I live in a walkable neighborhood. Hopefully, there'll be some more sidewalks and bike lanes and transit there eventually, which is also going to be a topic today on the show. But that's why I live in a neighborhood like that. In case something like this happens, I can get to places oh, well, that I want to get to. In that later spot, I'm going to drag Demon Brooman. <laughs> I guess we'll have to explain what that is if you don't know, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that a little bit later on. So, uh, And then, of course, there's just, in, in light of our conversation with Stephen and the scene story, uh, the we sort of need to get everybody prepared for 2024. We just need to take a deep breath, a step back, and look at the broad scopes of what could actually take place both locally in our city, in our state, and in our country 
2024 feels like it could be a historical year. 15, 20 years from now, we look back on this year, especially in our city, and it could be a defining sort of direction defining moment in our time. So we'll get to that in coming up in just a second. But special thanks to Ethan Roast. Quickly here, the snow. Uh, obviously, uh, and we're going to go a little deeper into climate and how it affects the city of Nashville, Middle Tennessee. But if you start looking, Jamie, at all the things that have happened, you've mentioned the landfill issues that we've got as a city, Davidson County uh, with the landfills and sort of a timeline where we're running out of space for those. What are we going to do with our trash, right? You got to pick up the trash, Brayden. Got to pick Every up the trash. Every day. Got to pick it up. We just had the hottest year on record in the state of Tennessee and in the city of Nashville. 2023 was the hottest on record. The snow this past week on the, it was like, I guess, Sunday night into Monday was 7.6 inches, which is the 15th largest single snow event in recorded Nashville history. The other one, the, the other two in my lifetime were 2016, eight inches. And then in 1996, which is like when I, right when I moved here, uh, otherwise all of these massive snows have happened, you know, 1800s, early 1900s. But when you look at 7.6 inches of snow, the average yearly total is 4.7 inches or the entire calendar year for Nashville. So 1991 to 2020, according to the Tennessean, the yearly average is 4.7. So we had more on Monday of last week than we, than we get in a year. And that's happening a little bit more frequently. Now we had a, we've just got out of a drought in the state of Tennessee. We've had tornadoes now kind of coming through pretty regularly on the same path. What's all this snow melts? We're going to move up a notch on the drought. That's I, I category. Yeah. After all the plants die, like they did last year, again, when we had a zero degree freeze and it killed everybody's laurels. Uh, I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything. It, it's just ultimately th things are affecting Middle Tennessee in a way. And I hope everybody's been safe and warm. We had, to, you know, NES had to ask for people to, to use less power. And of course, you get predictable photos of Broadway all lit up after everything's closed and rolling brownouts and, hey, everybody do their part. And it's just... I don't know, wet weather and climate and snow and rain and tornadoes and drought and heat, it's all a part of a larger story that we are going to dive into uh, moving forward at some point in the near future because I think it's we're starting to feel the effects a little bit more regularly in Nashville, at least in, in my history in the last 30 years. Snow might be evidence of the fact that maybe there's not global warming or oh, climate change. Get the fuck out of here. I, I, I just wanted to have a conversation with you. You know what? Here's the problem. My children... <laughs> My children got out of school on December 20th. They have been in school for five days since December 20th. Jamie, I need them to go back to school. I love them dearly, but they've got to go back to school. I need them out of my house. So stop. Don't make light of this situation. This is a personal struggle for me. So you did not get any seasoning during the lockdown. You didn't do any homeschool at your house? <laughs> no, we were... Uh, lucky or unlucky, I'm not sure that they were three. They were three and one when the tornado hit, and we were quarantining before it was cool. And yes, I took care of a three and a two year old for most of 2020, which again I understand is if that's the worst thing that happened to me is I spent a bunch of time with my kids. I, I got it a lot better than a lot of folks did. But this has got we got some heavy pandemic vibes in in our house the last couple of weeks, and the children need to go back to school. <laughs> Well, so, so we're going to study climate, goddammit, in Middle Tennessee, and you're not going to make fun of it. I wonder if they're going to ban those books. No, I agree. Even Frank Luntz, GOP strategist, wordsmith, is now in agreement that 
we're suffering from climate change if we don't do something different there's planet's going to shrink uh there are 32 snow plows in davidson county just as a little factoid there so hopefully it's gotten to your neighborhood i think we could probably use a better plan of approach with these snows are going to happen more regularly we probably could use a better plan of approach although there were lots of roads that were pre-salted in my neighborhood in east but again we live in a more urban neighborhood. pro, pro, pro tip and this would be falling in the lines of pick up the garbage every day pave the roads that's how the citizens know and residents that government's functioning how about indot has a strategy next time this happens first roads they plow the neighborhood roads and then go out to your major corridors but start in the neighborhood roads the humans <laughs> are the priority getting out not commerce or tourism for everyone else i feel it now I, feeds the narrative I can't complain. I've had almost every road that I would normally use has been pretty clear most of the time. And I've been able to get out and move since the first day it snowed. So I can't complain too much. But my wife won't drive in it. <laughs> and the kids don't leave the house unless I take them sledding or on a walk with the dog who definitely doesn't want to be outside. Well, you're, so. let me give you a preview into your future when your kids are teenagers. Hooray. They're going to go about their business without you. And hang out and sled all day. Then they want to have a sleepover somewhere. And then they bring kids to your house to have a sleepover there. That's fine. That all sounds great. And it's great. Just be sure you have your cupboard stocked with food to feed them all. <laughs> yes. Uh, they yeah, like to eat. Run to the store for more than just yourself and your own children. Run to the store for the entire neighborhood gang. I like that. I like that. Okay. So anyway, it was a great way to get 2024 started. Children not going back to school for me personally. But it does remind me, and, and Stephen Elliott's going to talk about this coming up. We're going to talk about the East Bank. We're going to talk about issues that are that Mayor O'Connell is facing. We're going to talk about the council. We're going to talk about transit. Obviously, there's some news this week as well about that. But, Jamie, as I'm sitting here sort of considering the, the national presidential race, looking at all the different elections that are going to take place in the course of 2024 in, in the state of Tennessee, whether it's U.S. Senate, state house, U.S. house, uh, we've got, you know, judges and you've got school board races. You've got so much stuff in 2024 that's up for election. You've got an East Bank development that sort of hangs over the entire process and every decision we make. We'll give you a transit update here in a second, but a referendum that could be on the ballot and probably is going to be on the ballot in 2024. You know, Sam Stockard's story in Tennessee lookout on Friday is essentially everyone's just going to get primaried. <laughs> the Republicans are going to primary each other. Democrats are going to primary each other. It feels like this is a pretty defining moment in our city's history. You can tell me if I'm crazy about this or not, but it, trying to consume all of this stuff and organize it all, it's all going to happen at the same time. It's all happening in the next 10 months. And I feel like 15 years from now, we're going to look back on 2024 with however we decide to do things this year. I know we always say every election is the most important election in the history of elections, but doesn't it feel like 2024 is different? Well, don't discount the role of pettiness <laughs> in electoral politics. And that's on display in the first election in Davidson County in 2024. And that's the March five County primary early voting starts middle of February. And that is, a race for assessor. You said school board races. We actually only have one school board race, and that's in District 1. 
but as far as countywide goes, we have Division Four Circuit Court Judge and Assessor. And the Assessor race would fall in the category of political pettiness. That's a retribution race because some people are pissed that the incumbent Assessor Vivian Wilhoyt ran for mayor. And they view that as harmful to another candidate's chances. And so as a part of that retribution, Will Hoyt has been primaried. Pettiness, I don't think, runs through the entire story. I mean, I, you know, sure, I think you, you pinpointed one particular race where that is the case. And is this I, the first one? I, you want me to go on? <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I think you're right about the primary. Like, if Republicans are getting primaried from the right, it's going to be because of, you know, probably they didn't vote for the voucher. They're not going to vote for the voucher bill. If Democrats are being primaried from the left, is that because they didn't get on board? Is that the is that where the pettiness applies in your opinion state at the state level? Well, at the state level, the Democratic primary races, the knives were hidden, and now, as a result of the past few weeks of reporting, the knives are out, and the first public target of that is Representative Johnny Shaw, who I would consider a Democratic institution. He voted for the rules package. And that is pissed off number 132. And allegedly, number 132 is going to find a primary opponent for him. We'll see about that. But I would say it's going to be pretty damn hard to beat Johnny Shaw, and that would be a waste of time. I thought he was 131 now, by the way. He's he's 132 because there's 99 members of the House, 33 in the Senate. So there's okay. always going to be 132 members of the legislature. No, I, no, no. Representative Justin Jones Thank is you. number 132. I was just trying to get you to tell he, people who you're talking he's about. He's number 132. He's never going to pass a bill, despite the fact that he's acting in a representative capacity. In fact, it's in the fucking name. But it brings me to a point. Like I was on a call today with a House member this morning says, well, this is, you know, the Speaker of the House created this problem. I would say it's not a problem. If the result of the expulsion downstream, a.k.a. elections in 2024, is that Democrats are going to primary Democrats, I don't think the Republicans could have devised a better strategy. Like, y'all are not focused on Republicans. Y'all are focused on yourselves. And I think that's a damn fool's errand. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that that basic principle, which is if we had an extremely organized state-level messaging party at the Democratic side to, to approach these things sort of systematically and in the art of the possible, they would be more effective. Uh, I also understand, as Adam Tamburin said last week on the show, that this, hey, I'm, this is... I don't like X, Y, or Z. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to call it out. This is all I really can do. Does that move the Overton window on what our society views as being a good representative of our voters? Because Nashville, in particular, certainly does not feel represented by the state governing body. And so... Well, the viewpoint of Nashvillians is not not in the majority of the state. In fact, Nashville's politics and Memphis politics are, are not close to the same. See, I so I agree with you on, I agree with you on some issues that exist out there in some in some areas in some red areas of of Tennessee. I don't think 
maybe again, I go back to this all the time. You've heard me say it all the time on this show. I, I do not think we are as far apart as we are made to feel and look how it is on Twitter.com. Twitter.com. It's still Twitter.com, by the way. It's dead. It's, if you go to the website, it's Twitter.com. But I think if you... These, some, some of these positions, we've read, off this, we've read off some of the polling on some of these positions, whether it's no exceptions for abortion, whether it's you know gay marriage, legalization of weed, you, you name the stuff that these issues, like we are almost all largely in agreement. It doesn't mean that we don't have some differences around the edges, but Democrats and Republicans as the voting population in the state are not all that different. We're, we're not, we are not as far apart as we are made to seem on, on social media. And, and in bills that are filed or in court cases or whatever, like, it's just, I don't know. I don't buy that all the time in what you're talking about. I think if, I mean, if you look at gay marriage as an issue, it moved as fast as any issue in this country ever has. And in 20 years from 1999 to 2019, let's call it just pulling random numbers out here. Most Republicans I know, friends, family don't give a shit about gay marriage anymore. They don't care. The issues, it's not an issue for them. But the representatives are still making it an issue. They're still fighting pride flags, and they're still doing X, Y, and Z. I, I don't agree with the the premise that that we are not, as a group, all in agreement on a lot of things. I think we are. Does that, does that make sense? It makes sense, but that's not going to solve getting a Democrat, incumbent Democrat, getting primaried from the left. You're, you're not, I'm not arguing with you on that point. I'm just saying uh, this, this feels like such a massive year for— the direction of the city in particular, since we're focused on Nashville. But if you look at, you can broaden that concentric circle out to the state and then out to the region and out to the, the country and say, the implications of a, a Trump presidency, the implications of losing the Senate, the implications of a state and local government not getting along, the implications of the East Bank development, we can just keep going. It's it's all going to define where we go as a as a society locally and nationally for a long time, it feels like. It feels, it feels like it feels overwhelming. It feels like a lot of shit is coming at us in the next couple months. Well, I, I think 45 is going to be the Republican nominee for president. The pre- whoa, whoa, whoa. That is a scorching right there. That <laughs> I've not heard anyone say that. That's a new take. I know, man. And, you know, his criminal defense lawyers have done a hell of a job running out the clock because once the clock strikes April 1, you know, He's not going to be convicted of anything. Those will be put on delay on the chance that he wins the presidency because I don't think we're ready to arrest a sitting president. Well, no, he'll just he, – he's already – his legal argument right now – we're not doing the Trump segment now. We're doing it later. Okay. But his legal argument is that he can have a Supreme Court justice killed. Like that's, his, that's literally his legal argument. So I don't, I don't know if I – again, you're the lawyer. I'm not the lawyer, so I shouldn't be arguing with you. But as a nominee, I don't think there's any – concern about arresting a nominee once he if he wins in november and wins the presidency and becomes 47 which is what we could start calling him if you want that then then i think all that shit disappears i call him we'll, 45 dash 47 we'll get we'll get to iowa really, later he's been president this whole four years i, I want to bring it back to i mean i <laughs> For all to be running for his third. Did term. you see? God, see, I was gonna wait on the Iowa stuff. Sixty, it's something like sixty-five percent of Iowa caucus goers believe that Trump was still president. Won won the election in twenty twenty. Sixty-five percent. That is that is a number that has changed over the last four years. So you're bringing us to the biggest threat. I wanted to get. I wanted to save that for later. The biggest threat of twenty twenty four is misinformation. 
I agree with that. And it's harder to convince someone who consumes misinformation. It's harder to persuade them that that's bogus shit. They're going to ignore you. Good luck you, trying but, to convince well, them of that. There's an approach that works, and there are people out there that do it that it works, but you can't do it by shouting at them. You can't do it by yelling at them. You got to do it by listening, trying to understand their perspective, which is what we did in our in New Year's intentions. Find people you disagree with and try to understand their perspective and listen to them first, because then by agreeing with maybe some of the things they're dealing with, their grievances, for example, that is when you then can start to chip away well, at the misinformation. You also didn't tell anybody that you were going to be the intentions judge and jury. I just, I thought we agreed when we both downloaded the New Year's Intentions Accountability app onto our phone, that we were going to look out for each other. <laughs> I was going to track all your intentions, and you can track all of mine. Look, this is a therapy session for me. Look, I'm doing it right now. I'm going to more therapy. This is this is me having therapy right now. <laughs> I don't. I, I, the, bringing it back to local, because we're going to get to Trump later. But th this East Bank thing hangs over everything, and it hangs over the council. It hangs over. It's tied into housing, which I'm sure you're working up some shit over there on. It's tied into transit, which, which we got some news on this week. Of course, Freddie O'Connell and the mayor, the national mayor's gathering in D.C., meeting with a couple of organizations that have been very successful at passing tra transit referendums. Uh, they're starting to put pieces in place. I am of the understanding that the 501c4 that will be used to campaign and message the tra transit referendum is is being built and constructed as we speak. So things are starting to fall into place, and that's a that's sort of the news that came out. Nate Rao reporting that in Axios. But can't tell you for sure till the end of the month. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Well, they just they're just getting their ducks in a row. Don't don't hate. You know, not a hate, just a commentary. But to your okay. point about housing, the biggest impediment to creating solutions for housing in the state of Tennessee is somebody you're never going to read about, but it's a state fire marshal's office. And the current state fire marshal is a guy by the name of Gary Farley. That office is the biggest impediment there is, despite. And there's going to be local political problems with all that. Even if you solved all those, you still got a barrier to reform in the state fire marshal's office. So when you said that this is this zoning reform push that we need to make as a city is going to be this long, arduous, debated, you know, deep into the night kind of deal. Are, are you that's one prong right of get, it. W why is he number one why is he the tip of the spear or or his let's say his office because that and can please give me the cliff notes version <laughs> that office has jurisdiction over building codes throughout the state like we go here nashville metro is considered an exempt jurisdiction and what that means is they get to we get to do our own inspections under the code our codes department is frequently audited by the state fire marshal's office. And so outside of the bigger municipalities and counties across the state, you know, that we got 95 counties here, about 90 of them, you go and get your building inspection request, your electrical inspection request. That's all handled by the state fire marshal's office. So the codes department here, while exempt, is still subservient to the state fire marshal's office. SFMO for the kids. And and we're going to have, much like we'll have a, a, an episode focused on climate, we will, we've, trust me, folks, I have promised Jamie a, a, a purely housing dedicated episode of the show, and I will turn him loose on you guys 
at some point coming up in the very near future. Because housing is obviously a huge part of it. Again, it all ties back to the East Bank. It all ties back to where's our city going. And it all ties back to, again, in this particular, you know, on the transit side of this, the name of the company, of course, Accelerator for America is who uh, Mayor O'Connell is reportedly meeting with. And they've passed measures uh, in other places. It does sound like the sales tax increase half a percent. Williamson County, 9.75. Davidson County, 9.25. That's the half a percent. Of course, that doesn't necessarily pay for it in the best possible way, but that is what seems like it's most likely to be. They'll tell us at the end of the month if that's going to happen or not. But it does seem like you hire policy wonks, you start meeting with companies that know how to do this stuff. It, they're, they're putting all the, the pieces in place to get it executed. So we're going to have a transit discussion and a housing discussion all at the same time. Well, they have been linked forever. They are. Got to have density. Inextricably. You got to have density to have transit. You got to have transit to have the density, right? So It's like that chicken walking around the streets of East Nashville during the snow break. <laughs> I was going to say the, the snake eating its own tail. but uh, So anyway, you've got Republicans and Democrats primarying each other. You've got a presidential race that hangs over everything. You've got an East Bank development that hangs over everything. You've got transit. You've got housing. You've got, meanwhile, we're in one of the worst snows of, of the entire calendar year. You've got campaign finance issues now that have bubbled to the surface as well with how this outside money is coming in to affect our elections. It just it feels like a whole lot of shit is coming at us in 2024. Well, I, I would say the East Bank, that's a mayor's office endeavor and zoning reform, et cetera. That's a council matter and transit being a hybrid there, the people on the council are going to want to be involved in the campaign for transit. I'm sure some pro and con, but that's kind of a hybrid issue. But otherwise, there's a division of labor there. And, and I agree. And I asked Stephen about this, and he'll tell you. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it a little bit later. But the, the East Bank development is also not just local. It's state as well. There's certainly some state implications there with money for TPAC. Or they, they want it to be successful as well. And so if the relationship is fully mended, and the kumbaya is for real between the state and the and the and the local. It's real state and local. Then, then I think we're gonna. They both have very real interests in the East Bank development happening correctly. And so, you don't have to be best friends to work together. It can happen. You can get stuff done. Um, so anyway, I just was, I was just like looking at twenty twenty four. Like, oh my god, this is gonna be a wild year. Am, am I wrong to be that dramatic about it? Well. The bigger thing for 2024, politics, East Bank, local shit too. Be skeptical, but not dismissive. Like, it, you may not go your way, all of it, but you can't jump out. You know, keep paying attention. And no, if we can survive four years. Oh, save that one. We're going to get to if it. If we can survive four years of 45, you know, maybe stop saying every time some dumb shit gets proposed it's not the end of fucking democracy we're still here it's not over quit crying wolf D democracy held the first time the raptors tested the fences i think it is fair to ask is that if, the nba team from toronto i think it is fair yes we've been attacked from the north i i think it is fair to ask if the fences will hold when the raptors test them again let's say i don't know hypothetically january of 2025 I, I think, and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get to why that is uh, in, in just a minute. So, uh, Pod Bus Nashville, of course, PBN here, is brought to you by? Eighth and Roast. So, time for some headline drip. I'll let you go first. Let's lighten the mood a bit before we hear from Stephen Elliott. 
uh, Stephen number two of the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. And then we talk a little Iowa and uh, 45 a little bit later on. But let's go back and forth. Give us give the folks some headlines here. What do you have for the wonderful and amazing people out there this week, Jamie? Well, uh, Kid Rock's hosting a <laughs> Nashville comedy festival in April at Ryman Auditorium. Saw that. Maybe get a ticket and go see who he's bringing to make us laugh. <laughs> Who's on that? Who's on the uh, the bill? Actually, it's also known as the tenth anniversary of the funniest week in Nashville, April twelfth to April twenty four and April sixteenth. Kid Rock's comedy jam at the Ryman Auditorium. Who is the presiding judge on dis- deciding what is the funniest week? Is that fat? Is they have like? Is there some laboratory data that backs that up? Zanies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, headline for me, veering from Republican-led states, Tennessee opts into summer food program for kids. From Anita Wadwani, of course, of the Tennessee Lookout, Tennessee will, part- will participate in a Biden administration program designed to give parents extra cash to buy food for their children. Imagine that. During the summer months, veering from 15 other Republican-led states that have rejected those federal dollars, the summer electronic benefits transfer for children or Summer EBT, will provide $40 per month for each school-aged kid living below the poverty line. The funds are loaded onto debit cards that then may only be used to buy food. There are 644,000 Tennessee children eligible. To be eligible, you have to be below the poverty line. That means How many? 644,000 children living below the poverty line, or at least are eligible for this program which could draw potentially around $80 million uh, in funding that low-income Tennessee families can then spend at the grocery store, which then leads to economic development. And you know, each one of those dollars spent then leads to more economic activity in the area and, oh, by the way, feeding children. So good job, state of Tennessee leadership, Republican, Democrat, whoever it was, good job opting in. Take the money to help children. It's not a complicated decision. And uh, 15 other states not doing that. That seems dumb to me. So good job. That's my first headline. Good we're, job, we're, state of Tennessee. Good job. We need a we need some fucking good news. All right, where are you headed to next, big guy? Well, in the Tennessee Journal, Senator Adam Lowe and State Rep Ed Butler have filed a bill to determine when elected officials are subject to a recall vote. They're going to change how mm. that works. There's already an existing statute on the books, but it takes such a high threshold of registered voters to sign it that it never happens. But locally, we have a state statute that applies only to Davidson County because we're what, Braden? What kind of government are we here in Davidson County? A metropolitan form of government. Okay. And where it's 10% of the registered voters of a district, if you get that number, you can get a recall election and there's only been one in the state of tennessee Braden. there's only been one i knew you had a reason for bringing that up excuse me there's only been one successful oh okay there have been other types of challenges but none successful except one and they're trying to make it easier it appears who who who's that one dare i ask at jr holland <laughs> twitter.com 
Uh, I don't know if you saw this uh, headline in Tennessee and Pastor Greg Locke's Wilson County Global Vision Church tent sustains massive snow damage. Uh, of course, you guys know my passion and appreciation and love for Pastor Greg Locke and his witchcraft. But of course, apparently the the tent, the and, and you would know more about like how to zone a tent or whatever. I don't know how it's all zoned and why it's allowed to be a structure or what it, whatever. But he, he reportedly says that it, it sustained, a, you know, a 30 or 40 foot hole top of the tent because the snow came down and the snow did some damage to the tent, much like I think the tornadoes did as well. He then tried to claim $150,000 in damages to his filing for his insurance. And I don't think the insurance company is going to cover it is, is, is ultimately the, some of the headline there. And I, I, I don't know who's all, all that upset about it. So, um, I know there's plenty of people that are good folks that are going to that church, I'm sure. And they don't deserve to have their place of worship destroyed. But this man is a false false prophet, <laughs> a term that we could use. Not my subject matter of expertise. Not a not a good human. Not a good human. More commonly so. known as a snake oil salesman. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Go. Yeah, that's that's better. But uh, he didn't get his tent. His tent fell he down didn't in the notify snowstorm. His insurance carrier when he put the <laughs> tent on the property. That's too bad. I guess again, you're the the impermanent structure expert <laughs> over there. I'm not sure what does or does not constitute impermanent structures. Uh, well, I think our codes. city's trying to permit some to house the homeless. That, that would be a smart decision. Uh, Council member Aaron Evans working on that. But who's been the biggest impediment to using that as housing? Oh, Braden, State Fire Marshal. Is it the State Fire Marshal? There you go. There uh, you go. The more you know. All right. What other headlines you got brought to you by 8th and Roast? Um uh, Tennessean reported that Nashville schools to pay nearly $1 million for a former student being sexually assaulted. And I know you're going to judge me here what I'm about to say next, Braden, so go ahead and be ready. I don't know where you're about to take this. But as a part of that case, not reported in the Tennessean reporting at the time, was that a former lawyer in the Metro Department of Law, the August Metro Department of Law that I love so much, uh, he inquired in a deposition of the victim what her menstrual cycle was. That doesn't seem legal. Doesn't seem copacetic for sure. and might have been one of the reasons why they agreed to settle that lawsuit. So lawyers being bad at their jobs? Cost us money. (laughs) Yes, it did. Uh, There's other issues baked into that story of course that cost the money too but just be clear on that uh all right i want to try to lighten the mood again here brought to you by eighth and rose tennessee congressman lead push for ufo transparency what what congressman? what uh this was nate rouse is actually a, a couple of weeks ago uh, uh tim burchett and andy ogles two tennessee members of congress have been leading the push for transparency about the federal government's knowledge of unidentified anomalous phenomena which is basically just a fancy new government acronym for UFO, the UAPs. And apparently, uh, and we're taping this Friday, January 19th, on the 12th of this week, there was a classified briefing of Congress by the government about apparently some, what did they say? That they are in possession of, quote, non-human biologics? Is that, I don't even know what that means. 
I do want to know what that means, and I am glad that we are pushing for UFO transparency. The little space nerd kid inside of me wants to see what the hell they're talking about. But the quote from Andy Ogles is funny here. It says, whether it's little green men, American technology, or worse, technology from the CCP, we need to know. Now, how could it be non-human and be from America or China? I don't know how that works. I just wish our esteemed economists from our Tennessee congressional ranks would stick to matters of the economy. (laughs) I don't know. I think we're all pretty qualified to talk about UFOs. We've all watched movies. We've all read books. That might be the problem. We all think we're the fucking expert on something. Well, I'm good with like everything. Excuse me. Well, that's true. And I'm trying to get you to stick to one thing. That's true. That's true. But like, come on. UFOs, everyone's entitled to have an opinion about if we're alone in the galaxy or not, right? The universe, we're allowed to have those opinions because nobody knows. Now, if somebody in the U.S. government knows, I'd like to I'd like to be let in on the secret. Now, my friend, Ludie Wallace, when he was on the council, he used to file the bill about a UFO all the time, and everybody <laughs> laughed at him. But now, here we have a member of Congress, an esteemed economist, no less, filing a bill on a similar subject matter. Well, I would, I would argue that much like perhaps a snake oil salesman telling you that there's only one path to afterlife, I would argue that it is pure arrogance for us to believe that we are the only little pebble in the universe that could sustain life. But that's just my opinion, allegedly. Are you wanting to go to Mars with Elon? Fuck yeah. I'll go, I'll go to space. Hell yeah. <laughs> Not on his first rocket. <laughs> I don't want to go on his first try. I'll wait till he gets it, all the kinks ironed out, and then I'll go with him. Maybe leave him there. <laughs> He's going to want somebody to go with him. Does he have any friends right now that'll go? Uh, okay, those are your. that's your headline. That's your headline drip from 8th and Roast. Make sure you swing by the first Tuesday of every single month over on the Charlotte location, 8.30 a.m., which is apparently very difficult to schedule a meeting, but just everybody schedule 8.30 a.m., first Tuesday of every month. Come hang out with us. We'll discuss UFOs. <laughs> snake oil kid rocks comedy tour we'll discuss all these important issues february 6 Braden. it's february 6 there you go maybe and, my kids will be back in fucking school by then and also to assure people that the north gulch is indeed a thing there's some haters out there on the north gulch not being <laughs> did a you, thing did you get, get, like, i've got a text like message the, this morning you got like the two people that knew what you're talking about to respond to that <laughs> and now you're going to bring it back on the show that's <laughs> tremendous Hey, I look forward to seeing everybody. All right, we'll wrap up with some Iowa caucus Trump conversation. And I know you've got some thoughts on the media and the press and how we're handling 45 and all of this. We'll do that following our conversation with Stephen Elliott. So special thanks to Ethan Rose for supporting us and that spectacular and amazing segment called The Headline Trip. <laughs> uh, here was our conversation. This was just me, by the way. Here was our, my, my conversation with Nashville Post political editor and writer Stephen Elliott. Stephen Elliott of the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene joining us here on the show. Good to see you, man. Hope you're staying warm. Hope you're staying safe. Uh, and Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Braden. I don't know about warm, but I am staying safe. <laughs> that's that's good. Cover story on the Nashville Scene recently is sort of a broad look at some of the biggest issues that could be facing our city in in the 2024 calendar year. And I just wanted to get your personal opinion because I know you, didn't, you, you worked on a bunch of those. And I know you've been up at the, the Capitol working on some state legislative stuff. And we'll get to transit and the East Bank and all kinds of other stuff. But just broadly in general, 
What is it that you think is going to end up as the biggest story in Nashville, or maybe the top two or three stories that you're looking forward to the most in this year? I think the 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 thing I'm watching the closest, uh, the most closely, is the transit referendum, and part of that is is how Mayor O'Connell continues to build out his office and sets his priorities and deals with his former colleagues on the council. But the biggest piece of that is transit. I think, you know, he has such a background in that area that if they were to bring one to the ballot and it were to be unsuccessful, it would just really put a damper on his young tenure. So that's one I'm I'm really closely watching. I think, you know, on a more personal level, I'm curious about how the Titans figure their stuff out. I think obviously with the stadium conversation ongoing and, you know, the coaching vacancy, which may or may not be solved by the time you hear this. I just think that's fascinating from an, uh, you know, apolitical a, a sense. And then, it, and then the, uh, the governor's push on vouchers will be really interesting to watch. It was obviously so tense four years ago, more than four years ago now. When they brought the limited version of that, so uh, these scholarships, I guess they're calling them, um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see where some of the Republican lawmakers end up on that. A lot of interesting, let's just call them forces at play in that particular discussion, uh, both in the state and outside of it. Uh, going back to Mayor O'Connell's first hundred days, let's call it. What? How would you evaluate? I know you know transit referendum is we're supposed to have something, at least some information about it by the end of the month. The East Bank sort of hangs over everything. But how would you define, and you can include your evaluation of the new Metro Council in this conversation as well, but how would you define Mayor O'Connell's first 100 days in office? I think it's it's been interesting to watch. You know, he came out of, a, he was elected with the support of a lot of the city's most progressive forces. You know, that wasn't his entire coalition, but I think those were the most vocal people, especially before the runoff, supporting him. and. You know, there's always this transition when someone goes from a legislative body to an executive position, which we've talked about on the show before. Running a city as big as Nashville or running any city, running running any organization, you're going to upset people. When you're an executive, you have to make decisions that impact people's lives and uh, in big ways or small. And when you're a legislator, you can take positions that maybe you couldn't take if you were the executive having to get the trash picked up and having to get the the road plowed. So I think it's been interesting to see that relationship with the Metro Council kind of find its footing, because obviously he was a member of that body with many of the people who are still on the council. So you would think he has some relationships there, uh, but there may be, you know, lingering tensions as we move forward where he's having to take a position on something um, whether it's hiring people or, you know, the referendum, it's a, it's a mayor-led city, as as your co-host Jamie will, will talk about, <laughs> strong mayor government. So he's bound to to piss some people off on the council, in, including the people who supported him uh, the most forcefully. Do, do you think he's, I mean, again, it's so early, it's hard to tell, but again, all signs point to this tra- transit process moving forward this month. He's been in D.C., last week meeting with some folks to sort of put this together. I assume that there is a nonprofit 501c4 being put together in some way, shape or form to begin the campaign to message this. Do do you think he's, I mean, you said it would be, I I can't remember the word you just used to describe like sort of a downer on his, the beginning of his tenure in office. I, I think it's a lot worse than that. If he can't get a transit, like this is the transit guy, like this is what he ran on. If he can't get the transit pieces put in place, 
I, I think it's a lot worse than just sort of. Uh, I think you used a very kind word there to describe uh, if you were damper. to fail a damper. Yes, I, I think it's more like an atom bomb. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it would it would definitely be a step back if if they do go forward and and spend a lot of time and energy and money and rally everyone around it, and it's just uh, a, another disappointment. I think it's going to be a lot smaller scale than what was proposed in uh, twenty eighteen. So it might not be as hard to to rally that support. Have you had a chance to talk to anybody in the community, whether it's small groups that are going to be a part of helping that push or just anecdotally folks that, to your point, it's going to be a much smaller scope uh, of, of an operation, what they're trying to do for November. It's a presidential election. Of course, we've talked about it being a, a smarter strategy. But you know, part of the problem with 2018 was the coalition building and the messaging and the strategy. Certainly, there was some scandal mixed in there that hurt that. But do you get a sense from people on the ground that you talk to that that there's more support for this particular push? I think there's um, maybe two ways to think about that. I think some people would probably would think that improving buses, bus routes and getting crosstown routes and making the whole bus system more efficient, which seems like it will be a big part of this push. Some people might think that doesn't go far enough and they liked the train system that was proposed, uh, the light rail system that was proposed five years ago. But I think a lot of and, and I think for maybe more casual users of a transit system, that might be something they would be more likely to use than an expanded bus system, but sort of a, a chicken and the egg, I guess. I think you'll see a lot of the same groups that were involved last time involved again. I'm sure there are people, uh, insiders out there who don't want those people to be involved because that was a failure, uh, but it was a failure for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, we saw recently the mayor's office added a, a transit leader from Vanderbilt Vanderbilt's kind of been a, somewhat of a leader in this space. And, and this addition to the office is a partnership with Vanderbilt. So, yeah, I, I think you'll see the big boys like that be a part of this. I know you've been up at the Capitol sort of taking a taking a gander at the legislative session that's taking place. And outside of rules and decorum, I know the metro and state relationship has been very important for a lot of folks for a lot of different reasons. And there's been a lot of nice things said by the governor, by the state, by the mayor's office. Do, do you get a sense that that this kumbaya moment is actually real, that it's actually taking place and that there could be actual fruit from from a, a renewed relationship? I mean, they're 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 talking the talk. Obviously, they're going to I could probably use the quotes that both uh, Mayor O'Connell and House Speaker Cameron Sexton uh gave last week or earlier this month about the situation as my own analysis. They both said, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all their politics. <laughs> However, you know, it's good to have an open dialogue. And I like him as a person. Uh, that's Sexton said that about O'Connell. They've they've met during this transition process. And, and Sexton said, you know, I like him. I think he's doing a great job. Obviously, we're not going to agree on a lot of stuff. But both the mayor and the speaker said they can work together on the East Bank. So maybe you'll see them push forward on areas where they do share interests. But, you know, the mayor doesn't control the Metro Council and they can do what they want. Um, they're in the process of hiring their own lobbyist. So there's there could always be a bomb dropped similar to the RNC situation, which uh, didn't start this conflict, but it, it certainly played a, a role in uh, escalating it. Yeah, poured, poured fuel on it. Just... Just let them have a party. I don't, I don't know. That's my personal opinion. Just let them have a party. I don't have to go down there that weekend. It's fine. I don't go down there most weekends, so yeah. it's fine. 
but you mentioned the East Bank, and it's fascinating because like everything feels like it's viewed through the lens of that. You already mentioned the Titan Stadium transit. I, I think one of the big hurdles they need to clear in this transit conversation is trying to marry that plan, whatever that plan is, with the East Bank development. I'm not sure if that's fully happening yet. They need to be sort of integrated fully for that East Bank development to be sort of started the right way. But it sounds like, to your point, that the state, we know that there's potentially money from the state for TPAC, for example, and it would be hugely beneficial for both state and metro government to get this thing done correctly and well and off to the right start. The The question is, what do what do Nashvillians need to like wait for? This is a this could be like a 10, 12, 15 year process. We know there's the beginning stages that are going to be focused in the initial area around the Titan Stadium. They have a hard and fast deadline of 2027. But what are the things that the regular Nashvillian voter needs to sort of keep an eye on from like a, hey, th this has happened, this has happened, and this has happened. Okay, now I know, I understand how the development's going to unfold. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, one thing I, personally I'm I'm watching is the development of this boulevard down the spine. Um, this was former Mayor Cooper's, you know, one of his big points in laying out the plan for this was that this spine was going to connect different parts of the city. I think there are some versions of a plan for this boulevard that would include dedicated bus lanes, which uh, would be the first in the city. And there, there are proposals in other parts of the city too, but if this came to fruition, it could be the first dedicated bus line, which you see in a lot of other cities our size. It could be a sort of a proof of concept for something that could expand um, around the city. And, and just going back to our, our discussion about a transit referendum, I think that would be part of it. So, so seeing how that uh, comes into play, whether that boulevard truly does become some kind of key spine in connecting different parts of the city, there will be a transit center on the campus, which I think the idea is that it would you know, now if you take the bus, you pretty much always have to go through the central station downtown to get anywhere unless you're, you know, going on one line. So between adding these crosstown routes, adding these hubs, uh, you could be able to get to different parts of the city without going downtown because, you know, the central bus station is a, in a pretty congested, dense area. So I, I'm, I'm watching that element of it the most closely, I think. Some sort of plan or architectural design or layout from a building firm that says hey this is this is what it could look like um i think this i think that's probably about right that's you got to get the transit part of this east bank correct and it's got to be married to the transit plan otherwise i'm not sure what the point is <laughs> of either of them yeah the other thing i've been watching which uh, to our earlier point about uh, an executive uh, disappointing his supporters uh, this could come into play on that note is the discussion about the housing on the east bank there, is, there are a lot of different opinions about what that should look like. Uh, it's obviously a very expensive piece of land. I mean, I've heard real estate people say this: there's nothing like this in the country in terms of yep. potential and, you know, how close it is to downtown and how it's basically, a, in a lot of ways, a blank canvas. So the debate is, do we, you know, use that leverage that we have by owning this such valuable land as a city to incentivize a lot of affordable housing, or would it be a better use of our resources to sort of profit from how special, I guess, or unique that uh, that property is to build even more affordable housing elsewhere. So the ratio of affordable to market rate in housing units that are eventually built there is something I think a lot of the mayor's supporters are watching pretty closely. And that is a very challenging uh, math problem for 
the mayor's office. So that'll be another interesting thing to watch. No, there's going to have to be a real delicate balance, both geographically and financially, uh, of those two parts of that development. I, I don't know how you recapture $1.2 billion in sales tax with a, off of affordable housing. Just in, just the math is hard to do at that point. So, all right. All right you wrote uh, also, you wrote a lot about the, the ballots and all the different elections that are happening in 2024. So I'll let you go with this because the biggest divide in this country is not Republicans and Democrats. It is the informed and the uninformed. It's like an 80-20 issue in this country. 80% of people just don't know what's going on. And I, I'm just, I want you to give us sort of, there's lots of tentpole elections in a lot of different types of, you got federal, you got local, you got state, you got all kinds of stuff that's happening in the state uh, this this year over the course of many different months. So give us a rundown of the most important elections and dates that you think people need to remember. Uh, just again, as like a primer heading into this year, hey, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Yeah, I think the the first thing people should look for is Super Tuesday in March. If you're voting in the presidential election, you'll, you know, that's when our primaries are mostly of interest to Republicans, though by then it may be wrapped up. <laughs> um, but also on that ballot are primaries for our family court, which is a circuit court judgeship. That's the judge who handles divorces and adoptions. It's, yeah, it's a it's an important job, and there are four candidates for that on the Democratic ballot. There's no Republican, so it's basically a, a general. So if you care about who is responsible for divorces and adoptions, then you should be paying attention to that. That's on the March ballot. There's also one of our one of our school board districts is up a similar situation where there's a primary with a few Democratic candidates and and one Republican. So a Democrat would be likely to win the general election. So if you live in that district, it's it's North Nashville, mostly District 1. That's a race to pay attention to. Uh, but then we really get into more action in August, which is our primary date for um, a lot of stuff, everything in the legislature. So the state house, the state Senate, U.S. House, U.S. Senate. Uh, there's a There could be a, a lot of interesting stuff then. We may see some lo local Democratic lawmakers primaried. Uh, I haven't seen anything official on that, but it's possible. Um, there's also an open seat for Representative Darren Jernigan. He is stepping down because he joined the mayor's office, but he'll he'll serve out this term. But anyway, there'll, there'll be a race to succeed him, likely decided in the Democratic primary. They're not guaranteed. Uh, so that will be in the August ballot. There were, you know, there'll be the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate, which is where Gloria Johnson, who everyone's heard of, is running to try to to beat Marsha Blackburn, but first she has to get out of a Democratic primary. Yep. Uh, Marquita Bradshaw is also running. I think there's one or two other candidates. Marquita Bradshaw won the Democratic primary for Senate in 2020 before losing by a lot uh, to Bill Haggerty. So uh, I think a lot of people expect Gloria Johnson to get out of that because she has so much money and so much attention, but you never know. Also and very tall. Also very tall. She is, she is quite tall, yes. <laughs> I guess for U.S. House some things to watch that primary date in August. Uh, there's a possibility that Andy Ogles, who uh, the, he's the Republican representative for District 5, that's the seat that includes a good chunk of Nashville, but was formerly the Democratic seat held by Jim Cooper. It was split up part of redistricting last cycle. Andy Ogles has had a interesting tenure in office. Uh, that was a very competitive race, Republican primary. Um, would have been more competitive if some other candidates have been allowed on the ballot, but I think there is some speculation that he might uh, have a challenger in the Republican primary. 
beyond that, th- th- those are kind of the main ones I'm yeah. watching in August. And then in November is obviously when the general elections are and potentially a transit referendum. Redistricting. That's a nice word there you used. Uh, gerrymandering also applies. Uh, and of course, interesting uh, tenure so far. Also another kind word for Andy Ogle's tenure so far uh, in office. I think the story, honestly, I think the story is both parties are going to be primarying the hell out of each other, like themselves. Like yeah. I think Democrats are going to be primarying Democrats from the left. Republicans are going to be primarying Republicans from the right, probably because of vouchers. Uh, and Democrats, because of a variety of issues, uh, I think that's going to be a major story. You mentioned uh, Darren Jernigan. Quickly, I, I was going to let you go, but quickly, it seems like he could be a key figure in the state and the city, kind of rebuilding their relationship because of his own personal experience in, in the legislative body now joining Metro. Is, is that fair to say? I, I think so. I mean, from what I've heard, both at the legislature and in the mayor's office, yeah, I think so. He he also was on Metro Council before he was in the legislature. He's been in the legislature for more than a decade. He is, I believe right now, um, the only Democrat who chairs any sort of body at the, the legislature. He's uh, chair of a subcommittee. And I think that speaks to his you know, relationship with the majority party. So Freddie O'Connell hired him to be the city's kind of liaison with the state. There's some hope, and and I heard this from members in the Democratic caucus. You know, they're sad to see him go, but um, but they think that he'll he'll he you know couldn't find someone much better than that um, in terms of in the relationship with Metro and the relationship with Republicans on the Hill uh, to maybe yeah. smooth that relationship out a little bit. Well, it seems like Freddie O'Connell is putting together the administration. It's taking maybe a little longer than some folks would have liked to have seen, but it does seem like he's making some smart decisions, and it's better to be slow and smart than fast and stupid. So (laughs) we do appreciate your time, man. Thank you for coming on. We uh, we do appreciate it, man. And hopefully by the time everyone's listening to this, the Titans do have a head football coach. We'll see. Thanks, Braden. That was Stephen number two, affectionately known on the show, Stephen Elliott from the National Post and the Nashville scene, and certainly a, a lot more Metro and East Bank and transit and election stuff coming. But uh, again, check out all their work, sceneandpost.com. You guys know the drill there. Uh, they've got a great layout of all the big stuff that it's coming in 2024, which sort of inspired my like panic uh, approach to the show this week, where I just was like, holy shit, we got a lot going on. So, uh, And make sure you swing by 8th and Roast, of course, uh, 8th Avenue location. Charlotte location, airport, West End over by Vanderbilt to make sure you swing by, grab a cup of coffee, grab some breakfast, and you also can buy the beans anywhere in the city at a grocery store near you. Just grind the beans. It's a better bean, more ethically sourced. They put in the work to give you a better product, and that's what we're all about here, putting in a little bit of work. So that being said, all right, so I know you don't give a shit about the Iowa caucus. but I do not. But... I thought it was interesting and a few things to note because uh, we've had some requests coming from inside the house and outside the house about we have not ever covered Donald Trump, but he is going to be the nomination for the Republican Party for president of the United States, which affects everyone in the country. It affects Tennessee. It affects Nashville. Well, do we need to write that down? Braden Gall, Jamie Holland said PBN. You heard it here first. Bold takes. Bold takes. People I know from South Carolina said people in Iowa pick corn. We pick presidents. Technically, for Republicans, that is true. Um, New Hampshire and South Carolina have been far more accurate. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of history and just a little bit of information about what took place in the caucus on 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 Monday, last Monday, when it was, I think, like negative five degrees in Iowa, by the way. So 
first of all, you got to give a lot of credit. Now, while Iowa is not representative of the entire country from a demographic standpoint, very evangelical, very white, the voting electorate that shows up at these caucuses is very old, but it is, they are very informed and they're very passionate about picking their candidates, which I respect. You got to give, you got to give a little respect to that. Trump won first time ever a nominee has ever gotten over 50% in the state of Iowa in a Republican primary, got to a number that was unprecedented. His gap, his margin of victory over Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who who basically finished essentially tied for second uh, at about 22%, 21 and 22%. The margin of victory is largely unprecedented. Only two times since the 70s has the person who won in the Iowa caucus gone on to actually be the nomination for president. That was George Bush in 2000 and Bob Dole in 1996. Otherwise, Ted Cruz won it in 2016. Don't recall him winning the president presidential nominee. Because his father had something to do with the assassination of JFK. <laughs> I thought you said something earlier on the show about misinformation. <laughs> Rick Santorum famously, obviously, obviously, famously won 2012, the Republican nominee for president. 2006, that's right, Mike Huckabee famously won the Iowa caucus in 2008. And then you have Bob Dole in 1988. And ironically, George H. W. Bush won it in 1980. Ronald Reagan, of course, was the Republican nominee. Then Bush went on to become president by not winning the Iowa caucus in 1988. So it's really not been a very accurate predictor of what, what's going to happen. Now, this is different. You've got a former president, which has never happened, running in a, in a, in a, in a primary. He won 50% of the vote. Sure. That was a grand total. There are about 800,000 registered Republican voters in the state of Iowa. He won about 7%. 7% of those voters voted for Donald Trump. Turnout was down because of the weather. There's no question. They, they were projecting about 200,000 votes. Did he campaign out there? He, he did, but not nearly as much on the ground. Vivek Too Ram- busy in court. Vivek Ramaswamy. Good job. Did a double Grassley, which is visiting all 99 counties in the state. He did it twice. And I, I want to say, I don't don't quote me on this. I want to say the estimated total of expenditure in his campaign is about $15 million. He got 8,000 votes. 8,000 votes in an entire state. Seems to have overpaid. <laughs> Just bonkers, that guy. And really likable. <laughs> but Did he get more than that Avenatti dude that ran? Oh, I don't know. what Michael Avenatti? The, yeah, he was kind of also maybe some snake oil involved in that as well. <laughs> 110,000 people voted. And so while people are saying record performance by Trump, record number 50% plus, record gap of victory, margin of victory, the underlying numbers are really more a lot more concerning for him. And some of that is because, frankly, 49% didn't pick him. And he's, a, a, for lack of a better term, an incumbent president running against, again, I think Nikki Haley has a good message now. I just, if you're a Republican, you probably wish she would have run that message during the campaign at some point. Hey, look so at, he's running for his third term, right? I guess. But, it, it, I mean, he's the incumbent Republican. I mean, I, you know, Nikki Haley's... No, he's not the incumbent. Nikki Haley's message at her speech, which, again, I don't know how Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley can give victory speeches coming in distant seconds and thirds, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she, she basically is like, look, these two old guys uh, have been running up the deficit, you know, $8 trillion, and they're both old as hell vote for me like that would have been a pretty solid message had she done it at any point during the campaign in my opinion i think she could have beaten joe biden but now she's going to have to dominate new hampshire and then win south carolina which seems unlikely here's the underlying numbers though if you're a democrat and you're a joe biden supporter that you probably like 
coming out of Iowa's exit polls. 32% of Republicans say that if convicted, they believe Trump is unfit for office. That's number one. Number two, 43% of Haley voters would not vote for Donald Trump. They would vote for Biden. So if if she's won 22% of the vote in this caucus in Iowa, and she's going to win a much bigger number in New Hampshire, if you're telling me that almost half of her supporters are not going to go to Trump and they're going to go to Biden, even if it's half of that half, that is still a a big enough number to swing the, swing the entire election. Here's why I think that's bullshit. <laughs> Ann Seltzer, by the way, that's an Ann Seltzer poll. The Des Moines Registry is like one of the best pollsters on the planet. So you better take it up with her. All right. It's bullshit. Here, there's a a stark difference between the GOP and the Democratic caucus as it relates to elections. The GOP will hold their nose and vote for their nominee no matter who it is. Democrats, by contrast, will not unless you check all the fucking boxes that they need you to check. They're not going to vote for you. And so I, you're saying it's a turnout issue for Democrats then in 2024? Yes, particularly as it relates to the October 7 attack on Israel by Hamas. That is going to cause problems for the incumbent, the only incumbent in this race, Joe Biden, particularly in Michigan and with young, delusional Gen Z types. They might be delusional, but they're not necessarily delusional about how the United States should be handling the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But that's a story for a different pod. Here's who Nikki Haley won. Those 43% I'm talking about. She won moderates. She won independent women. She won college graduate women. She won people with advanced degrees. And she won people who voted for Biden. So I disagree with your point about uh, your your point about Democratic turnout affecting Joe Biden's ability to win is absolutely spot on. What I'm saying is if she is going to siphon off 10, 12, 15 percent. Again, she won 22 percent of the electorate here. And if half of those 22 percent are going to vote for Biden, which is the exact same groups that you would expect, independents, moderates, women, college graduates, if all those people are going to they're anti-Trump, they're not going to vote for Trump. That's a positive sign. Are you telling me that Iowa is going to go for Joe Biden? No. Okay. Here's the other number. 24% of all Republican caucus goers said they would not vote for Donald Trump if he's the nominee. So if that's, let's just take the 100,000 people. 24, a quarter of those people are saying they're not going to vote for Trump. Now, it's an exit poll. I get it. But Seltzer's polls are pretty good. They're pretty good. All right. Make it matter. Who's going to win Iowa, the GOP nominee or Joe Biden? Well, what it does is it really puts it puts into clarity how extraordinary Obama was to win Iowa. That's <laughs> what it does. Because, of course, Donald Trump's going to win Iowa. The point is, you if you're shaving off not even 24%, let's say you shave off 10%. If you shave off 10% in Nevada, in Arizona, in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, Joe Biden wins. If you take 10% off Trump's totals, Joe Biden wins the election. Now, here's the other thing. Joe Biden is at his worst approval rating right now, right? Worst. He's at the bottom. He's at the bottom of his approval rating for, for the last quarter. They raised $97 million, record-breaking money raise for Joe Biden in the final quarter of last year during his worst approval period. The underlying metrics are, are not all that... Not all that concerning. And to your point about Trump and 45, 40 and being concerned about surviving, right? 
I think it's different this time for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I agree with you that he is that that the system could hold in theory, but I think where the chaos is is different. He was the dog that caught the car in 2016. The chaos was the campaign. The structure was the bureaucrats and the government. I I think now I think he was stunned that he won. Yeah, I agree. Now it's going to be inverted. It's going to be switched. Now you're now you've got all these really high quality incredibly smart talented people running the campaign to make it more make him more palatable and when he gets into office it's going to be complete chaos he's going to you know this is not my again not my words his words he's going to get rid of everybody and put all of his loyalists in i I think it's i think there's more of a concern than you're letting on but i also think you're right to point out that if you scream about the end of the world too much people will stop taking you seriously i think it's a big problem for democrats because if if they were right on anything we'd already be a different form of government, but we're not. I mean, didn't it take just like one secretary of state in Georgia, like not doing what Trump asked though? Like we weren't that far away. <laughs> they had a, <laughs> they got into the Capitol. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were elected officials, Republicans and Democrats hiding in their offices. Like let's be well closer than it's coming. Have you, know. you noticed that Mike Pence grew a spine since January 6th? Uh, he did for like a day. <laughs> They all did for like a day or two, maybe a week. And then it slowly shriveled back. But like they, regardless of what you think of what happened on January 6th, and, and yes, I believe it was an insurrection. <laughs> and they were calling. Really, for really the, going out on a limb there. <laughs> they brought the gallows out to hang Mike Pence. And uh, you know. they, I thought they were hostages. I thought they're <laughs> hostages and tourists is what I thought. But one thing they did do is after they cleared that shit out, they went in and certified the election. Yeah. You know, while we might see that as a low bar. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> agreed. But it still happened. It still happened. Uh, it's not, it, not the end of the fucking world. It can't be the end of the world every goddamn day, Braden. Well, here's what's funny about Trump's ex- actual acceptance speech, or I guess victory speech in Iowa. His first like 15 or 20 minutes, like he was on the talking points. And when he stays on the talking points and the media forgets everything it knows about the person and they cover it like it's some normal thing, that's when he is most dangerous. Because then he's on message, he's on topic, he's hitting the, the points that his staff want him to hit from a campaign standpoint, and then the media forgets that he is batshit fucking crazy. And, and so it's ironic that when he is acting the most sane is when he's the most dangerous. When he starts acting insane and the media covers it like it's supposed to, because they didn't do that in 2016, if they cover it the way they're supposed to, which is telling the truth about what he will do or what he has done and, and the insanity of it all, that is when people get reminded of the, of the chaos. And they go, oh, I'd, I'd rather wear the old sweater than deal with the, the, the drunken frat boy, for lack of a better analogy. I think he saved 45, saved digital news media and as a way to pay him back. Digital news media got him into the fucking office. I don't disagree with that. I, I agree with everything you just said. And they have some sort of responsibility going forward beyond clicks and maybe an ad-based news site where you got to click four fucking times to get to the story because you got to kill the ads. Maybe that's not a sustainable model anymore. Maybe a subscription-based model is see above. New York Times. But well, the first ma- thing that's going to happen, once he becomes the nominee, 
funding for the war in Ukraine goes to zero fucking dollars. Yeah. That is over. And so now we're going to talk about how we're going to part. How is Ukraine going to be partitioned to satisfy Putin? That brings me to the next point. Like, are you going to talk about Taiwan now too? What, what is AI and misinformation's role going to be in this election? You know, in 2016, everybody says, oh, the Russians were involved, the bot farm, Facebook, yada, yada. Well, their guy is going to be the nominee. What role do they even need to play anymore? Are, are they going to sit back? Or are they going to be actively involved? Well, China's in the same boat. I mean, we've got a very similar situation between Taiwan and, and China. Well, China, similar China needs with, us. Similar, but also China has, they, they are, they're on Team Trump as well, though. I mean, Xi Jinping is on Team Trump. Oh, for sure. But China so. needs our economy to be robust to buy the bullshit that they produce and put in Walmart <laughs> and every other fucking store. It's a little more complicated than that, but I, I, I get you. I'm trying to simplify. I get shit, you. Right? I, get, I do appreciate you. <laughs> I Look, Maggie, ha to your point about the times, Maggie Haberman and, and team are doing a really great series right now. Recommended reading on the New York Times. Lay, covering it the way it's supposed to be. Here is what would happen according to Donald Trump if he wins the presidency. That they are just laying it out what would happen, the stakes. And the media, to your point, they, they the, the media's job, and I'm sitting here in our studio looking out the window at like eight inches of snow. Worldwide headquarters. Yeah, worldwide headquarters. Uh, we're looking out the window. The media's job, if, if, if Donald Trump says it's snowing outside and Joe Biden says it's not snowing outside, the media's job is not to say, Donald Trump says it's snowing outside. The media's job is to go out fucking side and find out if it's snowing and then tell the people what is actually happening. Your job is to fact check politicians and the leaders of our country and tell people the truth about what is actually happening. And that is not what they did in 2016 or during most of his presidency. Now, the, the pandemic is is complicated issue for everyone to cover, for doctors, for media, for everybody. Well, has it changed? I, I do think coverage has changed a bit. I do think the media has learned a little bit. Not I mean, a lot. Used, but used I think to a learned. story, you couldn't get a story in the newspaper unless while you said, here's the objective truth. Well, I need, is there somebody else that could say that's yeah, it's not, not fucking true? Both, it's not both sides. Like, until there's somebody sides. to say yes and somebody to say no, we don't really have a story. Well, I think the That has been a practice in the past. Yes. And I think what, what I think is happening, because. Again, that works fine on cable news. And we've seen one cable channel had to pay $787 million for lying. It, to your well, point, that station, according to the diehards that are consuming news on other platforms, that Fox station went woke. But they don't, they also, well, I they mean, got rid of, they got rid of Tucker. Well, R Rupert didn't want Trump back in 16 either. <laughs> so let's just be honest about, about what they wanted. Uh, they do know legally that they've got to pull back. My, my point is ultimately about it creating both sides and a salacious debate that drives ratings is what you're talking about. That, that works on cable news for a very small percentage of the electorate. The, the, the TV rating, Fox is the highest rated cable channel on television. It is still 0.1 per, it's like a tiny percentage of the electorate. People don't watch cable news. They just don't. They don't watch MSNBC, they don't watch CNN, and they don't watch Fox News. It's a very, very small percentage of however many millions of people, 100, you know, 100 million people vote or whatever. Like it's, a small, it's a small percentage. I think the coverage is smarter it's going to need to be smarter all campaign when he's facing 91 felony charges and defamation lawsuits and civil cases. And it needs to be. And once the, once he's the nominee, all the money's going to pour in and he can settle those lawsuits. 
how you can settle the civil stuff, but I don't know the criminal stuff at the federal level. I don't know. And my point that. is, if you're clinging to a Trump conviction to keep him out of the White House or a state to kick him off the ballot to keep him out of the White House, I don't think any of those are coming to fruition. It's going to be an election that determines whether or not he returns to the White House. Zero yeah, percent chance he gets kicked off the ballot. The The Supreme Court will push that beyond the, the election. What I do think can affect the election, though, is, a, again, does a conviction of the candidate actually siphon off some votes? And I think it I think it my my assumption is, is that it does in a small way. It doesn't affect the diehards, but these moderate to the right when you combine Roe v. Wade overturning with being a convicted <laughs> presidential candidate, I think that takes away just enough votes to give Biden a, 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 the edge here. But again, I'm not predicting anything. I don't have a clue. Well, so. the state of Tennessee has a history on that. We have elected someone who was then incarcerated for tax fraud, reelected to the state house. His name was Tommy Burnett, RIP. On that note, We'll wrap up this conversation. Our first ever Donald Trump conversation on the show. I hope everyone. I hope everyone's happy. I think the underlying numbers at, out of Iowa are actually positive for Joe Biden. That's my that's my professional media analysis, and I think the media is handling it in a better, smarter, more evolved way. I think hopefully that continues. We shall see. Anything else you got for the folks? The the guy that was wanting to primary Biden is that over? Dean Phillips. Yeah. I didn't I can't, see even, can't ever even think of his name. Whenever didn't. you say it, I think of the guy that used to play Spider-Man. Not Spider-Man, Superman. Uh, I am too young to get that reference, but I don't. I did not study the Democratic caucus exit polling numbers <laughs> out of Iowa. Well, which leads me to another point that, you know, I may have missed it in headline drip, but... There's a bill filed in the legislature to close the primaries in the state of Tennessee. Uh, there's also a bill to uh, shorten the length of time for absentee balloting as well. Keep that in mind. Also, go check out the Tennessee Journal. Not a both sides piece of media, right? Correct. There you go. Uh, so go check them out. Uh, obviously, go check out 8th and Roast as well. Uh, try to stay warm. Try to stay safe out there. And uh, obviously, tell somebody about the show. Rate, review, subscribe, share. And if you do, write a review. Five stars only. Otherwise, just don't fucking review it. Don't listen. Unplug. If you can't get five stars, you're a hater. But to the five-star people, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.